The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. I think uh, everybody knows who I am, but for those that are online, my name is Ajahn Nasarano, as Indira mentioned. And I've been a monk now for 24 years from my full ordination. and been living in monasteries for 26 years. And I was ordained by Ajahn Brahm in Western Australia, in 19, fully ordained, 1998. And then in 2006 I went to Sri Lanka where I spent about 13 and a half years coming and going occasionally to Australia and particularly to the BSV, here to the Buddhist Society of Victoria. And now I am based in Newbury, the monastery, about 90 kilometres from Victoria, uh, uh, from Melbourne in Victoria. So that's for those people who are watching online thinking, who is he? <laughs> who is he? Um, so that's good. And today is, do people know what today is? It's full moon day. I thought somebody was going to say Sunday. That, that's pretty. That's a very good place to begin. Actually, yeah, you're right. It's Sunday for sure. This Sunday, yes, it's a full moon day, and uh, it's a very significant full moon day. They call it Unduwap in uh, Sri Lanka, but the Pali name for it is Magasiri for this full moon in December. And it's this full moon in December that is remembered for in Sri Lanka, particularly the. Uh, Venerable uh, Sangamita, the daughter of the Emperor Soka, coming to Sri Lanka. Her brother, the Venerable Mahinda, had invited her to come, and she brought with her the Sri Mahabodhi, a cutting from the Sri Mahabodhi tree. They say a sort of a branch, so it sounds quite big, doesn't it, really? And not only did she do that, come with the uh, Bodhi tree and come to Sri Lanka to live, she started ordaining women in Sri Lanka, and that was there we are. And Ranjan is going to Ranjan is going to give this book. There we are. I can mention this as well. <laughs> there we are. Thank you. Very good. Sadi sadi sadi. There we are. Very nice. Thank you. This is one of the first copies of a biography of this uh, a lady, Auntie Ranjani who helped with the Bikini uh, revival in Sri Lanka, was instrumental. And this is a book written by one of the nuns. She was uh, based in Newbury about that experience of uh, the revival of, well, about the life of Ranjini and also uh, the revival of the Bikuni Sangha. So, but that's what I was saying, that uh, Venerable Sangamita not only bought the Bodhi tree, the Sri Mahabodhi tree, she also ordained uh, women in Sri Lanka. And it can't, it can't be the same full moon. I mean, she couldn't have just arrived with a Bodhi tree and then started ordaining. But it would have been some years after that. And the first, uh, do people know who the first uh, woman to be ordained in Sri Lanka? It's in the history books. The Sri Lankans will know. <laughs> I think Ranjani does. Queen Anula and 500, they say, 500 um, uh, uh, Sri Lankan women, probably from the court, the royal court, also ordained. And this is very similar to when the Bhikkhuni order started in, Sri Lanka, in India, isn't it? Because it was the Buddha's stepmother who actually sought ordination. This is the Venerable Mahapajapati Gotami. 
she sought ordination with 500 uh, women, probably also from the royal court or related to it. So this is a very a significant day for the bhikkhunis, for bhikkhunis. And of course, as I mentioned, in recent times, after, I think it was about 1200 AD, the bhikkhunis order died out in Sri Lanka. But before that, in about 400 AD, uh, bhikkhunis went to China. Amazing, isn't it? I think that's extraordinary. I mean, if I heard of bhikkhunis from Sri Lanka going to China now, I think it was quite extraordinary. But this is 400 AD, around there. And they established the bhikkhuni order in China. So the rationale is that now, with the revival, they can help those bhikkhunis that uh, um, were established in China, the tradition of uh, the bhikkhuni ordination in China, help to revitalize or revive the uh, bhikkhuni ordination in the in uh, the Theravada tradition. And this is, and Ranjani helped with the first ordination, which was in uh, in India at Sanath. Sanath, yes. And, uh, and that was in 1996. And then in 1998, I think it was, they had another one under the Bo- at uh, Bodh Gaya, which is the one that uh, many people know about. So this is a very important, uh, uh, important day in uh, the Buddhist calendar because it, mean, it means that 50% of the Buddhist community can now seek high, higher ordination. Prior to that, it was always only as a novice, uh, novice nun, and with not as many opportunities. So very good. So this is the first, first I think this is available online too. So it's called uh, Walking in the Sunshine of the Bhikkhunis, and it's a biography of Ranjani de Silva. And I should say that Ranjani was requested, asked by Ayakima to help the Bhikkhunis. So she's She's been doing that uh, ever since and has been involved in the uh, Sakya Dita uh, conferences. This is the getting to the, uh, I think every two years the conference, isn't it? Every two years the conference where nuns come together and, and uh, this is where the idea first came for full ordination and to encourage full ordination, bhikkhuni ordination. So that's uh, that's wonderful. So. And this is available as a download too, isn't it, Ranjani? You can download it on the internet, so very good. So there we, that's the advertisement, isn't it? <laughs> There's always something. But also today I'd like to uh, dedicate the talk to uh, somebody probably many of you don't know actually, which is Ajahn Vayama, and she passed away one month ago, just the 20th November, and she was the uh, founding uh, founder of Dhammasara's nuns, nuns Monastery. And the link is that she was the first uh, uh, woman ordained in Australia as a bhikkhuni. So there were three others that were ordained with her, and that was in 2009. So that's the link. And uh, so we dedicate merit to her that... Um, if she is reborn, we always hope, I always uh, hope that they're not reborn. If you know enough, you know what uh, life is about, what it has to offer, then it's possible not to be reborn. But if she is reborn, may it be a good rebirth where she's got contact with the Dhamma and can practice well. So in a sense, she links up quite well with Venerable Sangamita, doesn't she? (laughs) Because Venerable Sangamita brought the ordination to Sri Lanka. And now there is uh, an enabled women in Sri Lanka to ordain. 
And also we dedicate merit today to Lasat Elgama, who passed away one month ago, actually, on the 21st of November. So that's one month exactly. Wishing him a good rebirth too. And there's also another one is a, a friend of mine, uh, a German monk in Sri Lanka. He's 80 years old, Venerable Jnana Ramata. And he's just, uh, yesterday he was admitted to ICU in Hambantota because he has COVID. And uh, he's on uh, ventilation, on a ventilator. So it's pretty severe, but he's got a very strong, strong uh, constitution. But being 80, it's, it's not sure. So just mention those things at the beginning. Give a context to today, you know, because these traditions, you know, the, um, the history of uh, Buddhism can be very inspiring for us, actually, to, to remind us uh, that ordination, uh, the uh, walking the path is available for all men and all women who wish to. And whatever ever way they can practice, either as lay, lay men, lay women, or as monks and nuns. So this is wonderful. The Buddha was offering his teaching for everyone. So, and of course, so just to say, and of course the other thing that it is, what else is it at the moment? What's coming? Christmas, exactly. So <laughs> I think... And I think it's, uh, it's, it, this does link to the talk, actually, that uh, what does Christmas mean to us? And it means uh, lots of different things to people. But one of the big things it means, of course, uh, is Chadston Shopping Centre. <laughs> there will be so many people there now. Chadston will be thriving. I call it the other temple, but it's a much more, <laughs> much more popular temple, actually. So for many people, you know, it's, it is buying presents, getting presents, and that's good. Giving gifts can be really, really a good way to connect with people, to heal uh, past hurts. But also for many people, it's a holiday period, getting together, the family, friends, getting together, giving presents, and uh, hopefully peace too, but particularly kindness, I think. The, at this time of year, I think people do try a bit more to be kind except in the car park to Chadston Shopping Centre. <laughs> that's, that's when it can become fairly ruthless. But if for those online, Chadston Shopping Centre is probably the largest shopping centre in Australia, maybe in the Southern Hemisphere, actually. Which, uh, and it's not far from this Buddha Centre, actually, but it's getting more people. And for others, it's just the lights and decorations, isn't it, that, that they enjoy. And uh, I know many Buddhists, in, even in Sri Lanka, actually, here particularly, but in, in Sri Lanka too, they like the, the Christmas lights and maybe even have a Christmas tree and presents for the kids and so on. And I asked one Sri Lankan man, I said, well, why, why, do you, why do you celebrate Christmas like that? And he said, well, I didn't want the kids to miss out on it. <laughs> so it's quite a nice, uh, a nice sentiment. But... Of course, you know, I also reflect on the story of Ajahn Chah in the early days of the founding of the monastery for foreign monks in, in uh, Thailand, Wat Pa Nanachat. One year they wanted to celebrate Christmas, it's very weird really, and they wanted to invite, they invited Ajahn Chah, and I think they were giving presents as well, but the villagers in the nearby village thought, what are these monks doing? Are they really Buddhist? <laughs> they, they got, I think, quite concerned and upset. 
And uh, Ajahn Chah came and uh, in his usual style, amazing really, he said, as far as I understand, Christianity teaches people to do good and avoid evil, just as Buddhism does. So what's the problem? <laughs> and then he said, anything that inspires us to see what is true and do what is good is proper practice. And if the name Christmas bothers you, we can call it Christ Buddhamus. So it's quite a nice... So he's looking at the, the essence of goodness, really, that's in, that all religions aspire to. And, of course, that's the message of Christmas is goodwill and peace to everyone. And what is that? I mean, it's very... In Buddhism, that would be metta, kindness. And uh, this is such a, an important uh, aspect of the Buddhist practice. In fact, it, to me, it's like the shortcut... The shortcut. Everybody likes shortcuts, don't they? And um, so that it makes life so convenient. But it's a shortcut to developing good qualities and letting go of bad qualities. Because when we are kind, those negative qualities don't get such a grip on us. There's not so much of an opportunity for them to come up. And uh, there is a, a joke about shortcuts, actually. Sometimes shortcuts do have their uh, problems. <laughs> they can turn out to be much longer than, than usual. But this shortcut, being kind, doesn't. And this story is a, a joke about two men who were taking the shortcut one night and they were going through the cemetery because it was a shortcut and they heard this tapping sound and they became very scared. They thought, my goodness, what, is it a ghost? And they were really, really scared. And then they came across this old man and he was chiseling away at a tombstone. And they said, oh, thank goodness, we thought it was a ghost. We were really worried. What are you doing here at this time of night? And he said, they misspelt my name. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I quite like that story. I thought it was quite good. So what is this uh, shortcut, kindness as a shortcut? What's it for? And it's really simple. There is, it's really simple, but there are deep aspects to it because it's for happiness, isn't it? It's for happiness, but it's also not only for happiness for ourselves, that's good, but for others as well. So it's for both. And we can always ask ourselves, I did ask the teens yesterday, how do you feel when you're kind? Good, most people feel good. And the only time they may not do is if they feel like they're forced into a situation, you know, like giving when they don't want to give, that sort of thing. And I think every one of us will remember someone who's been kind to us. Um, you know, it may be our parents. It may be, actually often it's a grandma, grandfather and grandmother, isn't it? <laughs> they're very kind to the children. Sometimes it's best friends. Yesterday when I was talking to the teens group, the two friends and they were best friends and they, that, that quality of kindness, they could connect with themselves. And we can all do that actually because our friends, we just feel such a uh, connection with them and that kindness is part of it. You know, we can relax with them, be at ease with them, um, joke with them, all those things. But sometimes it's teachers at schools, so they, they can be very inspiring and kind and even strangers, you know, sometimes you see, have you seen on the internet these, these, uh, these videos called random acts of kindness? 
You do. You see people doing kind things that are just incredible. So this may be even on the internet. And a kind person is really somebody you can feel close to. And uh, Ajahn Brahm mentions this simile or metaphor for people and, and that many people, or some people, very few hopefully, have big invisible spikes And when anybody gets near them, they feel uncomfortable. They get hurt by what they say, by what they do. Just sometimes almost a feeling in the air. Other people, most people, have medium-sized spikes. So you can get reasonably close to them before you start to to feel the discomforts and, and, and until they say things and do things, you know. So you can get quite close. And some people have very little spikes, invisible spikes, and people can get really close to them, and they love those people. And there's, hopefully in all of our lives, there are people like that, that we can get really close to, we feel safe, we feel like we can really connect with them, we can talk to them about things that matter. But then, there is there are people with no spikes. Who do you think they are? People with no spikes, invisible spikes. Sorry? Yep, exactly. You probably read the book. <laughs> no. Yeah, fully enlightened or fully awakened beings, you know, they have no spikes. There is no uh, anger, there's no ill will, there's no uh, irritation, uh, no desire, no delusion. All these negative qualities, not there. So there is no barrier to come close to them. So these are these are very uh, beings that really attract a lot of people, actually. And you can see that with, say, uh, Ajahn Shah, with the Buddha. The Buddha, yes, for sure. But it's good to remember that it's not only... Kindness is not only for feeling good, <laughs> feeling happy, but it's a spiritual quality, too, that actually is a foundation for our practice of the Dhamma because it takes away a lot of these negative qualities that are the hindrance to seeing the Dhamma, experiencing the Dhamma for ourselves. Because that is what the Buddhist path's for, isn't it? Really experiencing, knowing for ourselves, not, not, under, not as a philosophy, not something we read about, not something we, we can remember, but from our own experience. So this is a very important quality, uh, this kindness helps us remove these negative qualities. And the, and the Buddha says the five hindrances are what block us from deep meditation, from really getting peaceful, really getting clear, really getting still, and from wisdom, really seeing things as they are. And seeing things as they are depends on having that clarity, having that peace, having that power in the mind. So this kindness is really quite an important aspect of the practice. And I know for me, Ayakima, for instance, she would always emphasize, whatever meditation you do, do some metta. If it's a whole, that's a whole of the meditation is a metta or kindness, loving kindness, that's fine, but just even if you only do a few minutes at the beginning. And the reason for that is it really reconditions the mind. It settles those, reduces those hindrances. And uh, it also reminds me, that for those who were at Ajahn Brahmali's retreat in, uh, was it March? 
in April this year, actually, it seems like a long time ago, his parting words were, if you only remember one thing, remember kindness. And it was a really deep retreat all about, I think, Four Noble Truths, as I remember. Was it Four Noble Truths this time? So one of the things that it, uh, it pointed out is that we can't remember things. Uh, very often we forget, and it's, it's a natural thing that we forget. And so to keep something as simple as kindness in mind is much easier. And actually this keeping in mind, you probably heard um, Vinwil Sunyo last month, that's the Dutch monk, he was here, and he was exploring the meaning of mindfulness in uh, two talks he gave here last month. But one of the key elements of uh, mindfulness or sati is really being able to remember, being, being able to keep in mind. And this is a difficult quality for us, I think, because I know myself how easy it is to forget. But if we have one simple uh, quality to keep in mind, we don't have to keep all the Buddha's teaching in mind, that is enough to keep the path, keep us on the path. Uh, and this is kindness. It keeps us on the path. And it means for us, it's a, it means that there's happiness, it creates happiness in our life as well as for others, and it also um, enables us to practice the path deeper and deeper. And the point of developing kindness is to really make it a part of our character, part of our, uh, like a habit in our minds. Quite often people are developing uh, qualities in their mind that are negative, you know, whether it be being grumpy, getting angry, getting irritated, um, getting worried, getting depressed, whatever it is. Whatever we repeat again and again, that becomes part of our character. That becomes part of the default settings for our mind. So it really is good if we can... Uh, create a positive habit, a, a positive quality that becomes our default. So this is something that we can uh, easily do, actually all of us, give much more emphasis to kindness. And it reminds me of the saying of the Dalai Lama that he says, my religion is very simple. My religion is kindness. And that's... that's that's an, a, a very nice saying because if we're kind, we can really practice well. If we're unkind and we practice a spiritual teaching, heaven knows what we will do and say. It will probably be some, uh, something that won't help us or help others. So this kindness is actually sort of like an orientation on the path. And I talk a little bit about that in the sense that kindness is... Uh, an aspect, a very important aspect of the path in the sense of what is the foundation of the Buddha's path? Anybody got any ideas? What's the most important thing? Generosity? No, that's, that's important. But one of the central things is harmlessness. Harmless, not harming oneself, not harming others. Avihinsa, they call it, and uh, this kindness is is a real uh, is is something we we won't harm ourselves, we won't harm others if we're kind to ourselves and to others. 
It's sort of a positive aspect of harmlessness, because when you say harmlessness in English, it doesn't sound so positive, really, but kindness is. And it's always good to remember that uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things that make for unkindness, really, are our negative qualities. So they, I've recently I've been uh, um, contemplating that our defilements are like self-harming. <laughs> it's quite an interesting thing. Like people don't think of their desires as self-harming, but they can torture us, particularly some of the strong desires. They can just really upset the mind. They can bring, uh, uh, destabilize the mind. And this morning someone was mentioning to me that uh, it's like an itch that one scratches and then, does it go away? No, it gets worse and you have to scratch it again and again. And this is the nature of desire. But for most people they don't see it like that. They think it's their best friend, you know, they'd want to be a Chadston. <laughs> Well, the other, the other negative emotions like anger and aversion, it's easy to see. These are really unpleasant emotions. And also the jealousy, envy. You can see it's torturing us, actually, when we contemplate in that way. But one of the biggest areas that gives all of us suffering is delusion, especially the, the delusion of an ego, an I, a me, a permanent I and me inside. Wow, that gives big problems for us because we take everything so personally and that really causes a lot of suffering so if we have if our religion is kindness we'll be coming from a good place we will come from a place where we are not harming ourselves not harming others so and not only does it lead to our happiness but it protects us from negative states of mind where we might say and do things that we regret for a long time and i think too Sometimes people are very, they're always interested in how developed people are in the spiritual path, aren't they? You know, and whether it be Buddhism or I'm sure even in Christianity and the other religions, it's similar. People are always trying to gauge where people are on the path, you know. Have they got this uh, depth of meditation? Have they got jhanas or have they got the insight knowledges? Have they attained a, a stage of enlightenment and all those sorts of things? We can't tell. <laughs> That's very hard to gauge, actually. We don't know. But we can know that someone is practicing well if they're a kind person, if they're a, they don't harm themselves, they don't harm others. You can get an idea, yes, this person is practicing well. Because it should, if one has developed some understanding of a spiritual tradition, be it Buddhism or Christianity, whatever it is, it should show in our behavior, it should show in the peacefulness we have, it should show in the wisdom, the patience, the tolerance we have for others and ourselves. It's got to be for ourselves as well, <laughs> definitely. And this is a, a factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. It's part of the, the uh, factor of right intention or right motivation, where we're coming from. And uh, those right intentions... They support kindness too. Because the first one is, you know, we're not looking, it's called renunciation. We're not looking for happiness from things outside ourselves. We're not trying to get, we're letting go. And when we're like that, 
then we're not creating uh, this competition. We're not thinking just of ourselves. And so then we can be really kind. And the second aspect, of course, avyapada, uh, is this kindness, this non, uh, non yeah, kindness, uh, gentleness, um, patience, all these things. And the third one is kindness is a central one there, actually. And the third one is non harming, avihinksa. So that is like compassion, um, thinking of others. Um, and uh, being and gentleness too, they overlap quite a bit. But even when we practice things like giving, you know, this Christmas time brings it up, doesn't it? Giving is can be kindness. It can be kindness. You know, there are lots of different reasons people give, and of course, uh, it would depend on their intention or motivation where they're coming from. Some people can give with a lot of kindness, and it's. It's making a very, uh, it's bringing them joy and happiness. Other people can give for different reasons completely. And the Buddha actually, very interestingly, he mentions that people can give, give eight different reasons, I think, was actually two suttas, so 16 different reasons. But some of them, you know, they give out of fear <laughs> that, uh, well, everybody else is giving them, giving presents, so I've got to give them, you know, or the family's always done this and things like that. But the highest, highest reasons are if I give, it will lead to a good rebirth. If I give, this is another one, it will lead to happiness. If I give, it will beautify the mind. It will make the mind uh, shiny, sparkling, a joyful. And so these are... We realize when we give, we can give with many different motivations, but giving itself is an opportunity for good qualities to come up. And of course, giving is not only material like at Christmas time, and a big part of Christmas really is too the way we give, isn't it? That's the important, important thing. If we give with a really good heart, that present, no matter how, what it is, people will be very pleased, very happy. And uh, so this is so important that we, we give with a good heart and that makes it very strong karma too for us. And it doesn't, as I say, it doesn't have to be material things. It can be our time. It can be the quality of listening to people, somebody, a friend or somebody else who's having a hard time supporting them. And uh, so this, this giving is really a, an aspect of kindness actually. Because when we often we say, "Oh, they're a very kind person," and what we often mean is they give a lot, and they maybe give their time, then maybe they're there for you, you know. And this is actually a gift in a very distracted time that we live in. Sometimes people are not there for their own children. <laughs> We're all busy, so it's very important this giving. And uh, there's a nice saying that I found on the internet some time ago which is from Princess Diana. So this is quite interesting. Carry out a random act of kindness with no expectation of reward, safe in the knowledge that one day someone might do the same for you. I hope that's happening for her now, <laughs> in her next life, wherever that is. So that's, that's a, a nice saying, actually. But of course, kindness, where is kindness most important? at home, where we live, who we live with. 
you know, I often, people tell me, you know, uh, this, some person can be very kind with other people outside the family, but in the family, not so kind, not so kind. This is where we really need to develop kindness. This is where we're so familiar with each other, we can take each other for granted and say things and do things that we wouldn't do to anybody else, you know, not at work, not at school, wherever. So this is an important quality of kindness and something we give to our family, to the people we live with, uh, to our relationships. But even, you know, when you think of it, the precepts, you know, the ethical behavior in Buddhism, that's a gift. That's a a gift to others. It's kindness to others because they know we're not going to harm them. You know, if we keep the five precepts, we're not going to kill uh, living beings deliberately. We're not going to lie. We're not going to undertake sexual misconduct. Uh, we're not going to steal. That's the second one, actually. <laughs> and the last one, not take, not take alcohol and drugs that can lead to us breaking the other five, the other four precepts. So these precepts are a great protection for us. And not only that, they give us a lot of happiness too that we can feel confident, we can feel a sense of self-esteem, of self-worth, that what we're a good person and we're not harming others, not harming ourselves. Very important, both of those qualities. And it also saves us a lot of worry too. We don't have to worry and regret. And I say to people, if you want an interesting life, break the five precepts. <laughs> then, you know, you may enjoy teledramas, but you'll be living in one. <laughs> it's true. You know, you see that so often, that uh, you hear of that so often. So it's a, it's a wonderful gift we give to people that if we keep the five precepts, they know they're safe and they have, they have no need for fear and anxiety that from that person. So this is a real gift. And, of course, in meditation we develop it even more. And... The Buddha mentioned three areas where we can develop kindness. This is metta, and uh, that is in our speech, in our actions, and in our minds. But of course, where our speech and actions come from is the mind. So our job, you know, is really as uh, as practitioners of the Buddha, of Buddhism, of any religion, really is to develop the mind in good quality. So the speech, action, will come from that, flow from that. So when we meditate, when we come into the present moment, it's a kind space. We're not judging the present moment. We're, not, we're just here in the present moment. We're not thinking of the past and the future, you know, the past, the, the hurts we've experienced in the past, whatever it is. And we're not fearful about the future either. So this is a place where we can recondition the mind, where we can develop much more kindness in the mind. And of course, some meditations like metta meditation and also karuna meditation, this is compassion meditation and joy with others uh, type of meditation, mudita and equanimity. These are really excellent ways to bring up more kindness in the mind. So this kindness in the, the, better, the Buddhist context is hello, well-wishing, uh, well-wishing. It's a, a friendship, it's kindness, it's acceptance, goodwill, um, it's ease, 
You might have noticed in the Metta Sutta when we when we chanted it, we just chanted it in English. It said, "May you be at ease." So this is another uh, a possible uh, interpretation rendering of Metta. I like happy actually better actually because it's being at ease sounds like well. Sounds like chilling out, relaxing. That's good. <laughs> Being happy is even even better, and it's also connected with safety and security. Uh, the the quality of metta, and when we have kindness, we're actually looking at the good qualities in ourselves and in others. We're not looking at the faults or the negativity. It's not like we're putting blinkers on, but we're choosing to see the good qualities in people. And this is such an important thing to do because we're so well trained to see the faults. It's very easy to see faults, and uh, you know, but to see the good things that are there in a person, this is something that brings up the sense of kindness. And in fact, the Venerable Sariputta, he had um, this is the uh, the Buddha's wisest disciple, actually the chief disciple in wisdom, Venerable Sariputta. He said, the way we can remove resentment, he said, there's five ways, and four of them about seeing the goodness in a person. Maybe their speech is not bad, maybe their actions are not bad, and so on. And he said, there's, when, when you find that there's a person that has no good qualities, can you imagine somebody has absolutely no good qualities? Um, then, he said, you can have compassion, because they're going to be suffering a lot. <laughs> They're like somebody who's on the road, you know, with a terrible sickness and they're far from help from the next village and uh, they don't realize they're hurting themselves and uh, creating very bad karma for themselves as well. So it's, uh, this kindness is really so important for us and it's, it's one of our deepest um, deepest. Uh, wishes really is to have this sense of friendship, connection with others, and uh, safety, security, all these things. So this uh, uh, loving kindness is something, or uh, kindness is something we can develop in our lives more and more. And uh, when we come across people who have a lot of loving kindness, it's quite... Uh, magnetic. It really encourages us so much. Um, and I notice, for instance, with uh, chief monks, the ones that have got a lot of loving kindness, kindness, they attract a lot of other monks. And so like Ajahn Brahm, for instance, monastery always full. And it's because of his kindness, because of his wisdom, his clarity as well, all his good qualities. And in fact, he said the reason he ordained in the Thai tradition was he went to you know all the different temples, probably to the Sri Lankan temple, Burmese temple in London, and he went to the Thai temple, and he and he said the reason he ordained in the Thai tradition, Thai tradition was the monks at the Thai temple smiled a lot, <laughs> so they were kind, they were kind, and that encouraged him to ordain with them. Sometimes people will say, you know, well, is kindness enough on its own? And in a Buddhist context, of course, kindness has to come from right view. Because uh, if we have the, uh, uh, the Buddhist path is based on right view. So if we 
have an understanding of right, re, right view. Part of that is karma, isn't it? That our actions of body, speech and mind lead to results. So if we encourage kindness, positive qualities in the mind, it leads to very good results, not to negative karma, and is a foundation for the path. So in that sense, you know, uh, kindness needs this wisdom aspect to it. Otherwise, it's not, um, it, it's not enough on its own to become awakened, to experience for ourselves the whole path of the Buddha. And one of the things that I, Ajahn Brahm, have you heard of Ajahn Brahm's uh, peaceometer? Have you heard of that? He encourages people to, to look, check up on the quality of peace in the mind to see if they're more peaceful or less peaceful. And the idea of the peaceometer is like the speedometer on the car. You see how fast you're going. And the idea is you can see if you're more peaceful or less peaceful. And you can uh, gauge that at any time in your, in your day, of course, but particularly in meditation. When you come out, you can check the peaceometer, you know. Are we more peaceful are we, than we were before? And if we give uh, attention to a quality, a good quality like peacefulness, then that will tend to grow, actually. But I think... It occurred to me after I, I was thinking about this, uh, rec uh, reflecting on it, why not have a kind-ometer, kindness-ometer, just to reflect on the kindness that we have in the mind, to make it a priority in our lives. Are we more kind? Are we less kind? You know, just to see that quality. Whatever quality, the Buddha mentions this in one of the suttas in the middle-length discourses, the two types of uh, thinking, or intention, really, and uh, wholesome intention, unwholesome intention. But he mentions in there, whatever we give attention to grows, whether it be positive or, or negative. So we want, to, we want to give attention to a positive quality, like kindness, like peace. Peace is very good, but kindness is something uh, that we can also share with others. People do get an experience of you. If you're a peaceful person, they do get an experience of that too. They feel that. So this is this kindness is checking up on our intentions. You know, do we have kind intentions in our mind or not? And we can have a, like a checklist for uh, determining if we're, we're having more kindness in the mind or less kindness in the mind. In the monastery, we have fire drills. In fact, we had a fire drill, uh, was it not last Friday? The, well, not this Friday, gone, but the Friday before. And you have to have a checklist to make sure we, we do all the things that we have to. Because when you're having an emergency, you have to be really, uh, really focused and you have to have more or less tick off in your mind, at least, if not physically, that you've done all these steps. And so a checklist is very, very useful for kind, kind, uh, kindness. So you can ask if you are feeling very kind. Are you being tolerant or patient? Sometimes that's a, a, a great form of kindness too. And patience. Sometimes people think of patience as gritting your teeth and bearing it. That's not really kind to yourself. <laughs> it hasn't got much kindness in it. So it's very important that patience has a sense of kindness in it as well. Of course, 
patience also has, and tolerance has a sense of wisdom too that allows for the difference between people, that the difference in the way people see the world. And of course, you know, the other aspect of the kindometer is this, is this leading to harmony? Is this leading to uh, uh, harmony with others? Uh, but it doesn't mean, you know, sometimes people confuse kind and nice. People can be nice but not necessarily kind. <laughs> but kind people are always nice, <laughs> really nice. So it's, uh, it doesn't mean we have to agree with everybody, you know, when we emphasize harmony. It's a very important uh, quality we emphasize in the uh, the community of the monks and the nuns is harmony in the group, but it doesn't mean we all agree. If you if you live in a community, any community, whether and I I reflect on the monks and the nuns, so many different views and opinions. <laughs> Some of them you don't agree with at all, but kindness can agree to disagree, you know, and not hold it against the person at all. And this is a this is something that's very useful in our lives, actually. Everybody doesn't have to agree with us. I mean, it's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible at all. And of course, we can, with the kindometer, we can ask, if it, is it leading to more peace? It's a bit like harmony, isn't it, really? Peace uh, in myself and peace with others. So this is something that's useful. And, and is it wise? Am I, what am I saying and doing or even thinking? Is it wise? Or is it coming from a strong sense of ego, because that, that actually is usually the big disturber of the peace, the disturber of kindness. And uh, I could, if there's time, I could tell a story. Because when, I'll just mention it now, actually. Because when we, uh, when we come from a sense of ourselves, from uh, the sense of ego, often we can feel, if we, we can feel, I'm right, and we could be. But then what we do because we are right may not be good. And that's something that I think is really, it's a teaching that Ajahn Jagaro used to give. He was a monk who was here many years ago. In fact, he was instrumental in setting up the center and also establishing uh, the monastery where Ajahn Brahm is in Western Australia. They did together. And he used to emphasize this teaching a lot. And I do too, actually. So we can be 100% right, but what we do and say, how we react, even if we don't do or say how we think about it, not good. And there's a lovely teaching that uh, I read from Ajahn Amaro about this when Ajahn Samedo was in Thailand. He was just a newly ordained monk. Anybody? Some people probably don't know who Ajahn Samedo is. He is uh, one of the first Western disciples of Ajahn Chah, became a monk in 1967, I think, 67. And uh, he uh, was only two or three years in this monastery, but there was another monk in the monastery. It was actually a Thai monk, and he was really loud-spoken, and he used to talk about things, it sounded like, that were totally inappropriate. And most of the monks would get a bit upset with him, but they wouldn't say anything. They would just walk away. And uh, so he, he really got upset. He thought, well, why isn't Ajahn Chah saying, telling this monk off? He should tell him off. Someone should tell him off. And then he thought, I will if nobody else does. I'll tell him off. He's only two or three years as a monk. 
And so one, every fortnight we have the uh, reciting of the monks' rules, and at the end of that, the, the, monks, uh, the chief monk invites the other monks to bring up any issues. So what do you do? Ajahn Chah wasn't there. He brought up this issue and he went on about this monk and he, he gave them all the information about what this monk had done and said everybody knew it was absolutely true and the monk evidently sat there very sullen with his head down, embarrassed. And uh, at, after two or three days after that meeting, he left that monk and never came back. And then when Ajahn Shah came back to the monastery, this is Ajahn Samedo's teacher, he said what you did was not good. Uh, what you, you, it's right, you were right, it's true that this, this monk has, uh, what did he said? He said something like he has a bad, has a bad mouth, but his heart is good. <laughs> Everybody knew that, that he had a bad mouth. But he said this monk had probably, he'd been going from monastery to monastery and be kicked out of all these monasteries because of that. He said, I allowed him to stay here because I knew he had a good heart. And now, because you, you know, what you did is true, but it's not good in Dhamma. It's not good um, in, in, uh, in terms of uh, uh, the emotions. So that was really interesting because Ajahn Chah was known to be quite a tough monk. But he was really kind that he could put up with somebody who was, you know, in a sense, you'd say, misbehaving, uh, not, to, not doing what. Uh, was expected of a monk, which is pretty unusual for a Thai monk. So that, that gives you an idea, you know, when we feel we're right, we can do and say anything. And so that's why Ajahn Sumedho said that. And he was right. But of course, what, it wasn't coming from Dhamma, you know, and coming from Dhamma wasn't in accordance with Dhamma. It wasn't good. It was a, a negative uh, quality coming from uh, that uh, th that view, I'm right. I always say to people, if you feel like you're right, you should. We, I think this too. I think danger, danger, danger. Watch out, because if we feel right, wow, what we can do and say is just incredible. It's and very harmful to ourselves and to others actually. So, if we if we have that sense of righteous, because in in the in Christianity, they have the idea of righteous anger, don't they? Righteous anger. So you can be right and you can be angry. But in Buddhism, there's no such thing as righteous anger. It's not a good a good thing at all. Any anger, whatever the justification, is not good. So that's, it's good to uh, reflect on those things too. So, and So kindness is something uh, we need to develop more and more of it. And I think it's very useful just to reflect on how we develop kindness in meditation, how we develop it in our lives. And of course, in our lives, it's through our speech and action. So if we can th do actions, do things, be thoughtful of other people's um, situations, do things for them, uh, give gifts, Giving gifts is a great way to mend uh, problems in a relationship. Uh, so this, these are actions that lead to developing more and more kindness. And it's something we can all do, really. If we have, if we have it in our minds, the kindometer, 
we can think, yes, what can I do, you know, to help this person? Or what can I do today that's a kind thing to do? Uh, whatever it be, whether it be in the family, whether it be, you know, with people we work with at school, at the Buddha Center, <laughs> wherever we find ourselves, you know, to, to do, to consciously look for opportunities for kindness. And this is difficult sometimes because people have so busy, their lives are so busy that to find the time to incline towards kindness may be difficult. But if we have it as on our agenda, then uh, that is possible. And once we see, when we do kind things, when we say kind things, we feel uh, this sort of happiness, a feel uh, a sort of a goodness within ourselves. So it's actually something the feedback loop will encourage us to do more of and we'll see the benefit in doing it. But very important, as I mentioned, is in meditation, is to develop this kindness deliberately. In the often, ah, right, time to finish. So in meditation, uh, it's very important to find ways that bring up this kindness, this feeling of kindness. It has to be the feeling of kindness. Metta is a feeling, so it has to be that this quality of warmth, of of kindness, of caring, and uh, we can use words. We can use images. Sometimes people use words to bring up that feeling. That's good. If it brings up the feeling, good. The words are not meta. <laughs> the feeling is. Or we can bring up images like um, one of my teachers, Ayakima, flower garden in the heart. You see a garden in the heart and you're giving flowers to yourself and to other people. And um, we can use concepts like best friend or like a mother's love for their only child and see ourselves as our only child, see other people as our only child, then we are precious. Then they are precious. And it's very easy to have that sense of kindness. So these are ways of bringing up this uh, loving kindness. And giving is another good way. Sometimes with loving kindness or with kindness, it can be difficult to do it in a positive, straightforward, positive way. So there is a... What we can do, and this is this is kindness, is wishing ourselves to be free of uh, difficulties in our lives, f wishing to be free of fear, anxiety, problems of the body and the mind, all these things. So this can be a way to do it, rather than going to, you know, straight into wishing ourselves to be happy, wishing others to be happy and well. So this can be useful. So I'd like to finish there because it's getting quite late and uh, to encourage all of us to develop more and more kindness um, there's a nice saying that I'll end with which is uh, from the Dalai Lama too which is be kind whenever possible and then he said it's always possible <laughs> so I'd like to finish there so and wish that uh, all of us may put develop that kindometer within ourselves put the emphasis make that the shortcut for ourselves and it, give that it, get, put that on our agenda so that grows so thank you very much sure. Thanks, 
So any questions, complaints, or... Uh, Comments. Wasn't that nice? And it's signed. The book is signed. And uh, as I say, one of the nuns uh, that was at Newbury wrote this book. So are there any comments? Oh, yes, yes, please do. Supianto. Yes, there we are. Good morning. Good morning. It doesn't have to be about kindness, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, about not harming others. Yeah. yeah. Um, in my past experience, I work in a company, and of uh, we I work with uh, other people's. Um, as a I, I was a team leader, I was a supervisor, and um, at work. As a leader, we lead some team members, mm. and we also report to management. Yeah. And not harming people, um, sometimes we do need to defend ourselves. Yeah. 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 And I remember in one of the uh, Buddha teaching about... Uh, Kalinia Mitra Sutta. Yes, that's right. One of the, in one mm. of the, uh, in the Sutta, it says, uh, find, find the good friends. And oh, all right. In, in the good friends, you establish ethics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think um, yes. we uh, need to observe in, in our defense, we observe our ethics and also... Uh, mm. There's a verbal warning. We uh, we give advice to people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, warnings. that's I think it's <laughs> a kind of kindness too. Can be. It depends yeah. on how you do it, actually. <laughs> yes, it also depends. Yes, yeah, <laughs> the way yeah, we do it. Right. <laughs> yes. So yes. yeah, uh, I'm Thank glad you. that uh, in one of the Buddha teachings, it 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 says that. Yes. Yeah. There's a good, a good friend or a, a kind friend, a Kalyanamitta, is uh, Buddha said that it's uh, it's not half the Buddha's path; it's the whole of the Buddha's path, because uh, they influence us so much, and they have our good, uh, our uh, um, welfare in mind. They want what's good for us. They want uh, for our growth and development. And we recognize that in that person. And part of a Kalyanamitta or a good friend, or I call them a spiritual friend is a better, better, because good friend in English can mean almost anything, really. Somebody you hang out with at the pub or <laughs> wherever. But a spiritual friend is someone that you, 
you know, you have a lot in common with and who encourages, encourages one, you know, to do good things, to develop in a good direction, you know, develop things that bring more happiness, more kindness within oneself. So it is, a, it is an essential quality, really, because it's really from others that we, we learn from life. We don't learn from books, and to a large extent, uh, we don't learn from even talks. We learn from example, lived example. So for me, you know, a Kalyanamitta, uh, a spiritual friend, is somebody who has qualities that I can really see and see how they develop it, how they how they exhibit that that quality, you know, how how they're kind. And for me that gives me an idea of how I can develop that quality. So I know in Sri Lanka, for instance, I've met very many generous people, very people with lots of faith. And it gives me a, a, a sort of a model that I can work on, that I can relate to. It's not a description in a book, it's not a description in a talk. It's a lived example. And this is a lived example that really encourages us, actually. And, you know, I think this is where, you know, a teacher has to, they walk the talk. They have to exhibit the qualities they're talking about. And it's those qualities that actually inspire people, you know, to practice. Inspire people, I can develop this, you know. These are all qualities that any human being, any being can develop. So this is what a spiritual friend is about, you know, encouraging us, being that model, being that example. And having, and the reason um, one of the uh, the uh, the seven qualities of a of a, a, a spiritual friend that the Buddha mentions, the first one is that they're pleasant and agreeable, pleasant and agreeable. Otherwise, you never get close to them anyway. They have to be someone that you can relate to, connect with, you feel attracted to. You don't feel too, you don't feel afraid of. So the the, the spiritual friend has to be someone that we feel drawn to. And some people have that a lot, you know, and you can see someone like Ajahn Brahm who has charisma, huge amount of charisma, so people are very much drawn to him. Some people have charisma and what they're, what they're offering is not so good, and that's not necessarily in Buddhist context, but other contexts. You can see people drawn by different politicians and so on, but what they're offering is not so good. But in this case... It always is the case that if we connect with people, it has to be that we are drawn to them, we're open to them. And with a spiritual friend, one of the biggest things is having respect for them, you know, because we only, we'll only take advice from people if we think we really respect them, we look up to them, we think, well, it's worth listening to them, isn't it? What they say is usually, you know, a lot of common sense and uh, uh, it's helpful and so we're willing to try it. So this is an important part of the path is the spiritual friend, the Kalyanamitta. And, uh, and as I said, the Buddha says it's the whole of the path. So thank you for, for that, uh, Supiento. That's very good. Thank you, thank you. Sadhu. So are there any other uh, comments, questions or complaints? No? No one law? Good. There is one there. Yes. One more. Hello. Uh, good morning. Good morning. I uh, just have one question. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you work in society, some people can mm -hmm. misinterpret your kindness for weakness, yeah. and they might take advantage of the situation, sir. So 
Yeah. I was wondering if you had any words on that. Yes, yes, because that's what I hear all the time, you know. People, I remember hearing it when I was in Sri Lanka and uh, at Ajahn Brahmali's talks and he was talking about kindness and they said, oh, but people can take advantage of you. But I think, I, as I often say to people, they can only take advantage of you if you're not kind to yourself. If you're really kind to yourself, you say, look, I'd like to help you, but I can't. <laughs> I can't at the moment. But the trouble is, what we, we get attached to the idea of being a kind person. We identify. It becomes part of our ego sometimes. And so we can't say no. And we can't say no kindly. Because we can. We can actually say uh, no kindly. You know, we can just say it's not at the moment. I can't do it. So I would say they can only take advantage of oneself, of one's own kindness, if one isn't kind to, to oneself. If you're kind to yourself, then you say, look, I'd like to help, but I can't at the moment. Sorry. You know. And I think that's, that's important. And of course, we need quite a bit of wisdom with that too, don't we? You know, to just know, this is too much at the moment. I can't do it. And, uh, and look after oneself. Be kind to oneself. Because there's a strong tendency in people, isn't there, to be the sort of martyr almost, you know, sacrifice themselves completely for others. But we have to know the limits and be kind to ourselves as well. Otherwise, uh, often what comes in, in, the way, in the wake of, you know, overdoing it, as it were, overdoing the kindness, is that we feel overburdened. We feel like we've been taken advantage of. We feel like they haven't really appreciated what we've done. We shouldn't be concerned that people don't appreciate what we've done. That's very common. People are not necessarily thankful. Uh, but if we feel that we've done something good, we've done it with a good heart, that's enough. We shouldn't focus on the result afterward. So I would say we have to be kind to ourselves and say, I have limits. Yeah, so, and not to, to, to be able to say no kindly, not to feel bad about it either, you know, not to feel bad about it. The real test of kindness is, is for me, you know, is when, when I do something and I think, oh my God, what I do, what did I say? And, and if I can be kind to myself in the wake of that, I think, great, I think, very good that I'm developing kindness. Because the tendency of all of us is to really, if we feel let down by ourselves, to really weigh in <laughs> and criticise ourselves and feel bad and all those things. But to be kind to ourselves is such an important quality to develop and not one that's encouraged. Because some people think, if you're kind to yourself, you're just getting self-centred. <laughs> But there is a strong conditioning, too, to sacrifice ourselves. And it comes, there are, I think maybe it's not just in Christianity, but in other traditions as well. Uh, but there is a strong conditioning for that. And, um, you know, and particularly, I would say, for women to feel that, that's hard for them to say no. You know, that they should feel always, that they're always there for whoever, you know, the family, for, for others. So thank you for that question. I hope that sort of answered it. But to be kind is, uh, is important to ourselves. And just say, enough, enough for the moment, can't do. <laughs> so good. Thanks. That's yeah, a, that was a very good question because uh, that's one that comes up a lot, that people feel like they have to, um, you know, have to defend themselves. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, but you can do it in a good way um, and say no kindly. Say no kindly.
I know uh, one speaker, um, Byron Katie in America, and she, she says, it's lovely, she says, oh, yeah, I know, I, I, rec- I, I can fully, fully see where you're coming from. I can see the problem and the difficulties you're having in your life and you, you need this and you need that. And no. <laughs> but for us to say no, we feel bad about that. We shouldn't. We, we should be looking after ourselves too, knowing our own limits, uh, knowing what's reasonable, um, because other people won't necessarily uh, know those limits. So, is it I think Indira, do, do, all right, the online? You're, all right, yes. Yes. Thank you, Ajahn. We do have four online questions and about four minutes left in the session. All right. Wow. So brief answers only. If you would like to comment on these, I'll just read them out. The first one says, hello from Florida, USA. Uh-huh. Ajahn Nisarano, you mentioned mindfulness. Yeah. Is right mindfulness also remembering the Dhamma? Absolutely, it has to be. And part of that Dhamma is kindness, isn't it? Because that's the second, as I said, part of the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, right intention. And the whole way we practice a path has to be from this kindness, has to be from not uh, trying to get, letting go, uh, from looking for happiness within, and also not harming. If we practice any of the Noble Eightfold Path without those qualities, it means we haven't understood right view and every other factor of it is wrong. So you can see meditators who really push and are really forceful. This is not kind. <laughs> they won't get samadhi and they won't develop wisdom. They may get headaches. And also, if, if we're not kind, our speech, our actions, our livelihood can also be coming affected by that. You know, what we say, obviously, and what we do will be affected by it. So it's integral part of of the path, actually, and the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, yes, Samasankapa. Yes. Thank you. The next question is, I was kind to another person but harmed myself by accepting an alcoholic drink. How do I continue to say no to drinking when the pandemic has made me feel weak at saying no? <clears throat> yeah, that is hard because you, you, you don't want to uh, isolate, alienate people by by um, uh, you know refusing their offers and I think the only way around that is to be kind to oneself of course first and foremost but also to thank the person for their their thought their kind kindness but that you're not drinking I know Ajahn Brahm said one uh, <laughs> this is quite funny one one person at the Buddhist Society of Western Australia would say when he was at this you know, you know, at the business lunches and so on, they offer drinks and say, so, oh, oh, sorry, I can't drink, it's a doctor's orders. But he doesn't mention that the doctor is the Buddha. <laughs> so, but it's, you, maybe things like that are okay, you know, to say that, you know. But I think to emphasise the person's kindness in offering it, you know, so they feel good, you know, yeah, that's really good that you, you thought to offer, you know, this drink. Um, but, you know, the pressure to fit in is another aspect of it too. We want to fit in. And as you say, you know, at a time of the pandemic, you feel like you want, you want to fit in more because uh, it's, it's, we feel isolated. Yeah, so that's what I would suggest anyway, doctor's orders. <laughs> Thank you, Ajahn. Yeah. Next question. Can the Metta Sutta also be understood as learning about the fruits of the path 
Thank you for answering these questions. Oh, yes, it's yes, yes, very much because it it's showing, isn't it, the progression from uh, the sorts of uh, qualities one can develop, the sorts of qualities one needs to develop, leading to the um, progression in in the practice, so that one's unshakable with when uh, one encounters the eight worldly winds, we call them. You know, when there's loss. And uh, when there's a blame, when there is um, pain in our lives, when there is, um, you know, we are, uh, we, we, our status or we're not recognized, we are, um, so those eight worldly winds, yes. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. And then when you get towards the end of the path, uh, end of the, the Metta Sutta, it, it says a person that has developed a Metta like this. Everywhere they go, they are safe. They're protected because their mind is protected. And it says in the last line, you might remember from the chanting, and they do not come back to a womb. They're not reborn again. So it is the whole path, and it's giving the qualities that lead up to it. So thank you for that. That emphasizes really how integral the kindness is in the path. And uh, as I say, it's, it's integral in the sense too that it's uh, samawayama, we call it, right effort, because that is letting, uh, avoiding and letting go of negative qualities in the mind, developing and maintaining positive. And if we de develop and maintain positive qualities, wow, the negative don't get much chance to come up anyway, and we, we don't have to let go of them even. So thank you for that. That's, it is the whole path in the, uh, the Metta Sutta, you find in most of the Buddha's teaching, he's teaching complete path, eight from beginning to to complete enlightenment or awakening. So it's thank you for that. That's a very good point. Yeah, mm. is that it? Uh, there's just one more quick question, yes. but I think it's very similar to the qu the second question. Yeah, and your answer to that: uh, to be kind, my intentions yeah. and others' needs. Which is more important? Sometimes I couldn't give what others want because of different perspectives, and they mm. did not like my offers. Right, right. Uh, one's intentions, is that more important, or others' needs? And of course, you know, intention is, is the most important thing, because that's what we, the Buddha says, that is, that's where we're making karma, actually good or bad karma. And also, you know, very similar, as she said, you know, that people can feel overburdened because people could take advantage of you. So very much checking up on our intentions and, and being and part of the uh, right intention, as I mentioned, is not trying to get, uh, is letting go, is kindness, is um, not harming gentleness. So we're not going to harm ourselves, we're not going to harm the other person. We're going to be kind to ourselves and kind to the other person in the sense we say, no, I can't do <laughs> It's easy to say that, but saying no in a kind way is not so easy. And, and we need, really, I would say to this person too, and for all of us, we need to develop scripts of how to say no kindly. You know, and that's what I, I mentioned Byron Katie, the way she said it. Sounds funny, but it, it does that. For her, that works. And we have to find a script for ourselves where we can say, you know, we, we, we understand where the person is coming from, the difficulty they're experiencing, the problem they've got, but we can't help at this moment. Maybe later we can. So 
So I think that's what I would suggest to this person. But foremost thing, our intention, because that's, that's so crucial in our spiritual growth, our intention. What are we intending? Is it on the kindometer or not? <laughs> yeah. So that's why the kindometer can be useful, because we can reflect on a sort of a dial and think, is this really kind to myself or to others? So thank you very much for that. So now we can finish off and, uh, oh, this, you want to, yes. Just to comment, uh, Ajahn, uh, thank yeah. you very much for the timely talk, yeah. kindness, uh, and just to end the mm. year. Yeah. And um, just want to just say that um, giving time, you know, the, the team, uh, the AV team has been very wow. kind and generous, yeah. giving their time and energy. And it has been going right through the world. Yeah. So giving their time and energy to uh, have these uh, online, yeah. these talks available to everyone in the world, around the world, that has been a great... Yeah. Uh, and we have been really blessed to have the uh, Sri Jut Landon and their teams. Yeah. And, and also just to... Uh, uh, because it's kindness at its best giving time. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Where we find very hard to find time. time yeah. And also the committee who is giving time to run all these things. things. And it's, yeah. It has been really, you know, heartwarming to see that it is. without expecting anything in return. And also the commitment their families are giving, commitment. that's yeah. the best that we, we should appreciate. Yeah. No, I think Thank it, you so it, much for that. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's kindness in action. It really is. When we, when we provide all these, um, you know, the possibility for people to hear teachings that, that can help them and provide facilities and spend so much time. I'm always amazed at the dedication of uh, the people who are working in the BSV, in the Buddhist Society of Victoria, in the committee, in the AV team. It's really wonderful, actually, to see. Because this is something that is... Um, is going to, it's got benefit here and now for people, but for the future as well. And I always feel my my part of in the in the offering teachings, being at the monastery and so on, is part of that. You know, it's it's going to go on and on many generations later. But we need the links in between those people that keep it going. So this thank you, thank you very much. We had a thank you day yesterday and a Modena day. So. It's, uh, this is one of the very good, uh, one of the wonderful emotions to develop. When people are not thankful, I always say to people, don't get upset. They didn't say thank you. They don't appreciate what you've done or said. Don't, don't undermine, I, I say, they've just missed out an opportunity of happiness for themselves, actually. So don't undermine one's own happiness, you know, by that. No matter about the result, you know, that they didn't say thank you and so on. They've missed out. The person who didn't say thank you has missed out on that opportunity for happiness and appreciation. So, great. We can, Buddha's, Buddha's teaching all about positive emotions and um, intentions. So good. Thank you very much. And we can pay respects to those who would like to, pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. And if you're interested in this book, it's a free download somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure where the down. Do you know where it is, Helen? Is it not on Sakyadita yet? Uh, sorry, I can't. I can't I just I did an ad for it. <laughs> uh, we'll put that up on Sakyadita. <laughs>
Yeah, it'd be, it'd be really. In- I think people would be interested to read and evidently very well written by Aya Severa. Yeah. Who's now in Sydney.